Why don't you stand up? Because we're going to do some liturgy just to start with. It's really short, but it's good stuff. So it should just come up on the screen. So the problem is I've tried this in the past while I've gone, Christ is risen, and then nobody's known what to say in the past. So I'm like, well, that was a bit of a damp squib. So, so when I say, Alleluia, Christ is risen, you are then going to say, he is risen indeed. Alleluia, 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 and get louder with each one. Yeah? So we're going to try that. No half-heartedness in this room, because we are excited. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. That was awesome. Okay, I'm just going to pray, and then you just all say amen at the end. God of glory, by the raising of your Son, you have broken the chains of death and hell. Fill your church with faith and hope for a new day has dawned. And the way to life stands open in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Great, thank you. You can sit down. That was quite successful. I want to start this morning with a story about a girl called Florrie Evans. She was sitting in church one evening when the pastor asked a simple question and he was looking for a response. It was a smaller group than this. If I asked a question, it could go haywire, but it was, he was looking for a response and he said this, what does the Lord Jesus Christ mean to you? That was the question. One bright young spark put up his hand and volunteered. He is the saviour of the world. And he was quite correct in what he said, but it was not what Joseph Jenkins was looking for. He was hoping for something a bit more personal, so he repeated the question with an extra emphasis on the last word. And he said, what does the Lord Jesus Christ mean to you? What does the Lord Jesus Christ mean to you? And there was a brief moment of silence as people grappled with the question before young Florrie responding to just this strong sense of being prompted from within, she stood up and announced simply and sincerely in Welsh, I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. There was silence for a short while as the words and the significance of quite how they had been expressed sank in. And then around the room, others too began coming under conviction. And there was the quiet sound of sobbing from firstly just one or two. And then it began to spread around the room as the Holy Spirit began to do a deep work in that room. Effectively, that was what was the start as what came later to be known as the Welsh Revival. That was, one of, that was the starting moment. Tabernacle, the church was transformed overnight and particularly the young people in the church were set on fire with a deep love for God and a desire to express what they had seen. This revival saw over 100,000 people come to ask Jesus into their life to ask him to be their Lord and Saviour and it changed the very um, nature and fabric of society in Wales in 1904-06. And this moment was a catalyst for this nation, a personal response to a very, very simple question. A question that stands at the centre of my talk this morning. What does Jesus Christ mean to you? What I find Incredibly profound is the difference between the two ways that the question was answered. He is the saviour of the world. And when you ask that question for so many people, they would go, yes, he's the saviour of the world. 
It's true, but it comes sometimes from the head rather than the heart. Whereas little Flurry just turned around and said, I love the Lord Jesus with all of my heart. That was her response to the question. Today we celebrate with hundreds of millions of Christians across the world the day when Jesus defeated death and he climbed out of the grave. He won the victory over Satan and he paved the way to every, for everyone to have life in him. In Romans 10 verse 13 it says this, for there is no difference between Jew and, Jew and Greek. The same Lord is the Lord of all and is rich to all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now often when people talk about faith, um, and spirituality, they use the language of journey. You, you will have heard it many times. It's the way that we often would talk about things. I went on a journey and I began to discover more of who Jesus is. I began to discover this, this aspect of Jesus or this nature. Or I had this encounter with God. And I think the language of journey can be really helpful because it's soft language. But at the centre of the Christian word, at faith is the word salvation, to be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And this would often lead to the question, well, what do I need to be saved from? What is it that I'm saved from? My, myself, my sin, my, my mess, my self and selfishness, going my own way, many things. And historically, the Christian faith seeks a change in a heart and mind, changing hearts and minds. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. It's a repentance, a turning away of going our own way, a surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And as a church and as people who love Jesus, we long to see everybody we know and love call on the name of the Lord. That is our heartbeat. We long to see people meet Jesus. So it's really simple that we want them to meet this saviour. We're, we're in here today ex excited and as we should be because we're celebrating his resurrection. We're celebrating that he came out of the grave. But part of us, we want everybody to know that. It's not enough just for us, it's for everybody. Many people ask, why can't you just look upon people in your Christian faith with love and with peace and accept them as they are? Why do you have to persuade them to call on the name of the Lord? And the answer to the question, why do you have to persuade, is here, it's Easter. Why was it that 5,000 Jewish people gave their lives and fellowship to Jesus the first two times any Christian sermons were preached? Why did that happen? What was it in, what was said within that talk, those sermons, that encouraged people to give their lives? Because the first two sermons were about Easter. The first two sermons were about this, the claim of Easter, which is this, the rejected and the executed Jesus Christ is now alive again from the dead. This fact stands at the heart of the Christian faith. This is the basis and foundation of the Christian faith that he rose, that he is risen. And news like this can't be kept down or suppressed. Imagine for a moment that you were one of the 500 people that Paul said saw Jesus after he rose again. That's how many, 500 saw the risen Christ. And you've just heard him speak and now he's just disappeared and your eyes are beginning to recover from the sight of his glory and power. What's the first thing on your heart? What do you say? Do you immediately say, well, I'm, I'm gonna go and keep a lid on this. My neighbours think a bit differently to me. Let's just play it down. Let's not get too excited about this. 
We're so in danger of doing that. I wouldn't want to do anything radical that would put people's noses out of joint. I have to make sure that this doesn't get around. That would just be stupid, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would be so stupid. We couldn't possibly think like that. The Christian church was not the result of planning or development. The Christian church was the fallout of an explosion of joy. Came out of this joy. You know, when you look back, we looked at the book of Acts. It was this moment of joy that birthed the church. It was this, how can we not tell the world? We have to tell everybody because it's changed everything. Everything is changed because of this moment. We will never be the same again. It's all different. The gospel spread like fire from a tiny spark. It was just, there weren't very many of them at the beginning. There was 12 and then there were 120 and then there were 3,000 added to their number. And this is just how it charts, this growth, this explosion. And then persecution came and it just split them open and they went everywhere. And because they're, they were so passionate about what they'd seen and this amazing news, it just spread to the point where we look around the world now and there are billions of Christians who follow Jesus people noticed that something extraordinary was happening and they started asking the question, what has happened to you? Because when you see something different in somebody, you want to know, don't you? It's like, what has happened to you? What has changed? The answer is the resurrection. Jesus is risen. All of the early sermons you see that immediately created that explosion were sermons about the resurrection. When the Christians were saying, look, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, has now been raised and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of the universe and he's going to rule until all things have been put under his feet and all evil has been put down. That is the reality. That's what we're talking about. And also that reality that people began to see in the disciples of what has happened to them. We saw this recently, one of the... Last, in, within the last month, we had a baptism service and we had 12 stories of people whose lives had been changed by Jesus. It was just the most remarkable evening. I came away, and me and Jen, Jen came as well. She doesn't always come to the evening. We just came away. It's like, that's, that's what it's about. That's what it's about. When somebody experiences new life for the first time, when somebody experiences that their sins have been forgiven, that it's gone, that this weight that they've been carrying around, it's like this physical weight goes when we bring it before Jesus and we say, Jesus, I'm sorry for living my own way. I kneel before you, I surrender my life before you and I give you everything. There's this weight that shifts and we walk into this freedom of knowing the Lord. Yeah, everything's not simple, because the life's not simple, the world's not simple, but the weight is gone because we're free. That's the picture of what we see in stories of changed lives. That's what I've experienced. That's what so many of you have experienced in here. In Joseph's Gospel, we see Jesus talking about his resurrection from the dead and what it means before he even dies. This is what's so amazing that he's gone to see Lazarus, who was his friend, who's actually been in the tomb for four days, so he's dead. And he's gone because they've been asking him to go to see what he can do. And so we just pick it up in John 11. It says this, verse 20. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Basically, where were you? If you were here, he, he, he wouldn't have died and he's been dead for four days. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. 
Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who's come into the world. What Jesus is saying is on the one hand, there's a resurrection reality in him and there will be a resurrection reality in you. Let me just show you those two. First of all, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, what does he mean? There's a lot he means, I think. But I'd like to just take a look at this for a moment. I am the resurrection. Here Jesus is trying to show you that he's been raised for you. He's been raised for you. He's saying, I am the resurrection. I am your resurrection. I am the way anybody gets resurrected. My resurrection is yours and I have been raised for you. The core of Christianity is personal pronouns. So let me explain. If you're here this morning saying the son of God was born, he died, he was raised, he ascended and he's coming again, that doesn't make you a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But if you say the son of God was born for me, he died for me, he was raised for me, he was ascended to the right hand of the father for me and he's gonna come again for me, that's the essence of Christianity. Can you see the difference? It goes back to that story that I talked about right at the beginning. Yes, he's the saviour of the world. It's kind of this abstract concept, the difference between that and he's risen for me. That it's all changed. We have to understand that he was raised for us. Paul says, for our salvation. Well, somebody says, well, how could that be? I know he died for us. I know he paid for our sins, but how could he be raised for our salvation? What did that do for us? Let me tell a little story to help illustrate this. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Tesco. What a joyous experience. Now, if you wanted to make Tesco even more joyful, try taking three children with you. And now just begin to picture an image of a man on the edge. The, the point where you start barking rather than speaking. Stop it! You know, it's, it's just that. I was on the edge. It's confession time. I got through the checkout, which was miraculous. And, and then the girls had decided that they wanted to go and look at something. So they'd run off. And I'd gone back into the shop to find them by this point, having paid, came back to the door. And the guy didn't really pick up what was going on in my face, but he was like, have you paid for this? I'm like, what do you mean, have I paid for this? Have you got a receipt? I think I had one of those faces on, where I hope that nobody knows that I lead a church. I slightly panicked and said, maybe. And 10 minutes of rooting around later, I was like, where have I put this? What have I done with it? I found it, and I very calmly just presented it to this man. But inside I was going, yeah, there you go. Here it is. I haven't stolen this. He was just doing his job, by the way. Just want to caveat that. Um, very good job. But... In that moment, I broke forth from Tesco's into freedom. But I ran out into the freedom. But 
I think the point that I'm making is there are a lot of people here who don't believe you can ever be free from the sins of your past. You don't believe that you can be free. You can never be free from your failures and you can never be free from your inadequacies. You've been taught or you're teaching yourself or both that these things can never be put behind you, that they're always going to be there. You're never really ever going to be able to live them down, that you'll never be able to forget them, that you're always going to have to live with them. And God says, no. He says, no. He says, on the cross, Jesus Christ paid and I have given you your receipt. That's the, that's the picture. That's what I'm talking about, the receipt. It's this justification. That's what justification is like. When I stood before that person, I was given the receipt. It was like, you're justified. And it's just that image of what that means. How do you know Jesus Christ paid in full for everything? How do you know Jesus Christ paid so that you never have to pay again for any of those things? Because God's given us that receipt. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, God stamped, paid in full. Across the pages of history. And it's so much bigger than us. I don't want to reduce it just down to this personal thing because it is bigger than us. He, he stamped, paid in full across the pages of history for everybody. I started by saying everybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Everybody. This payment is sufficient. And you never have to pay for these things again, never. Do you, do, you, do you understand that? Do you understand what paid in full means? It means that you don't have to go back. Do you look at the resurrection and say, that's God's way of saying to me, I'm never have to gonna pay for any of these things again. And do you live in that? It's one thing to know something, it's another to live in it. I am the resurrection means that I've been raised for you. Personal, personal pronoun. Now, let's just take a look at the second bit, just briefly. We've seen that he's been raised for us and his resurrection destroys death, but we have something else. Jesus says, therefore, if you believe in me, two things happen. On the one, he sa- on the one hand, he says, he who believes in me, can you see that the resurrection reality of Jesus comes into us through that little word, believe? It's that word, he who believes in me. Though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Now, Jesus is actually talking about two resurrections that come into our lives. The first one is this. He says, when you die, you won't stay dead, but your body will come back to life. You will get a new body and a resurrection body. In other words, death is not the end. I am the resurrection and the life, which is the life to come. Therefore, it's talking this way. When you die, the Bible tells us we will immediately go into the conscious presence of God. Job 19.25 says, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I know that my Redeemer lives. I've been stuck on that song all week. I keep playing it on YouTube. It's my guilty pleasure. (laughs) I know my Redeemer lives. And do you know what I think that probably means? I think it means that Jesus Christ is going to look at the earth on that last day and say, earth, you have my people in there in dens and caves and oceans and mountains and give them to me, they're mine. And out they will come and we'll all get our new resurrection bodies. Nothing will be able to withstand his command on that day because he has the name which is above every other name. 
What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus Christ, our King. On that day, we're gonna come and we'll get new bodies and our souls in heaven will be united with our new bodies and we will say, O grave, where is thy victory? O grave, where is thy victory? This isn't it. That's the resurrection body. So that's the one thing. And then the second is, he talks about a second kind of resurrection. Jesus says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He's talking about a different kind of life here. He's not talking about how your body gets renewed and resurrected. Here he's talking about a kind of life that once it's started, never goes out. He says, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. He's saying there's a spiritual resurrection that happens now. There's a physical resurrection and there's a spiritual resurrection. When my Holy Spirit comes into your life and when you believe in me, that spirit comes in and renews you and changes you and you're transformed from one degree of splendor into the next until the moment of physical death. That's what happens when we give our lives. Sometimes people are like, what, what, what is it that happens when we give our lives to Jesus? What happens is we say, Jesus, we surrender everything. Would you come and be Lord? Would you forgive me of everything that I've ever done? And what happens in that moment is we have this deposit of the Holy Spirit that comes to live within us, which is part of God himself. It's just this deposit of God and it changes everything. There's a divine exchange that happens, a beautiful exchange that happens. Everything else is gone and God comes to live within us. That's what it means to be born again. The old has gone and the new has come. We're born again. We're born into new life. And so we have this beautiful picture of the spirit of God that lives within us. And then this spirit lives within us for the rest of our days as Christians. It's what sets us apart. It's what makes us look different. But the truth is, there's two things that we can do with that spirit of God. We can either partner with that spirit of God into full life, or we can ignore the spirit of God within us. I think we have a choice with those two things. I think we choose to partner with the spirit of God that he would become more and that we would become less. As he becomes more, it's not that we lose our character. We become more us than we were ever. We become more the person that God has created us. We come into the fullness of who he's created us. That's what partnering with the Holy Spirit looks like. The difference is, on the other hand, we can ignore the spirit of God. And what happens is our conscience speaks to us and it makes us aware of things and it speaks to us and it prompts us and it's always there and it never goes away. But we can push it down and we can push it down. But the picture of the resurrected life, the one where we stand in victory is that we say, I wanna partner with the spirit of God. Would you become alive in me? And the resurrection, we talk about resurrection power and the resurrection power comes to live in us. And we have a choice as Christians, we can live in those two things. And so if you've been a Christian for years, my question to you and my, my challenge for you, with you is, are you partnering with the Holy Spirit? Because it's the most beautiful thing and I, I can absolutely guarantee you as you partner with him, he will bring you into the fullness of who you are made to be. God created us to be with him, to be known by him, to be in him, in Christ. It's the most beautiful thing when you see somebody who's partnering with the Lord. So in coming to finish, I wanna leave you with this picture that I started with of Florrie Evans. What does the Lord Jesus Christ mean to you? I love him. I love him with all of my heart. And that is the invitation that we have every time 
we come together as a community, that if you're here and you've never stepped into this new life, then today is a day when you have an opportunity to step into new life. We will never be ashamed of giving that as an opportunity because it's the most beautiful thing. I've experienced it. Why would I ever not do that? And so if you're here today and you'd love to give your life to Jesus, why don't we all stand? And I'm just going to pray just in finishing.